Hallelujah. Good to see you this morning. I am privileged and honored not only to be here, but to be uh, doing something very special at the beginning of this service. And I, I've said this more than once. I can't, I can't believe how often I've actually been able to do this. One of the greatest thrills of being a long-term pastor, it has benefits, one of which is you never have to get in a hurry to preach a sermon series because you'll be back next week probably. So, uh, for instance, I'm working on a sermon series at the beginning of next year that's probably going to take five or six months uh, because we're going to be going through my favorite book of the Bible. And uh, you don't have to get in a hurry to lay out formats and, and idealisms because every week, every month, Year after year, you're still there, planted in the same place. So you can cast vision and, and help things to grow and advance, and you don't have to be in a hurry to do so. And one of the other benefits is you eventually see the children that you dedicated to the Lord have children that you get to dedicate to the Lord. Now, it feels like about a month and a half ago that I dedicated Jessica's babies to the Lord. It was actually a lot longer than that. And now Jessica is having grandchildren because her babies are having babies. And that is, uh, blows my mind that, that we've gotten to the age that we're, we can be grandparents. And uh, some of you are going, ah, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those moments when you're, oh, I'm old enough to be a grandpa. So this morning, <clears throat> I have the distinct pleasure of being able, and you are going to join with us, to dedicate uh, one of the these little precious babies to the Lord. Let me first share with you a verse out of Psalms chapter 22, verse 10. It says, from the day I was born, I have been in your care, God. And from the time of my birth, you have been my Lord. I, I want to remind us that child dedication boldly declares that we believe that God has a plan for everything. It's, it's not, we're not of the belief that because we dedicate a child to the Lord that that child is somehow given a golden ticket in through the pearly gates. They have decisions they have to make later in life. However, what we do, because it really has nothing to do with the infant at all, we put a charge in front of the family in order that they may make a cognizant idea in their mind and a determination that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this baby to the finish line. And that's what we're here to do today. These young people are precious to God. Their lives are sacred because, make no mistake about it, they are created in God's image. And they have the ability to do great things if given the right discipline, given the right ideas, given the right room to grow, and most and foremost, if they're taught the ways of the Lord. In spite of the innocent beauty of these children, we recognize that every one of us needs Jesus. So what we're doing is we are giving an opportunity for the family to make a determination that when these children get of age, that they will make a decision to follow Jesus for themselves. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. This is what God wants us to do and how he wants us to raise children. Don't worry as much about grades in school as you do about God's word. Not that grades aren't important, but nothing is as important as getting the word of God 
in them. So I'm going to at this time ask the family of little Kalani Ray Lynn to come on out and greet everyone. If you would just come out and maybe stand here on the platform and let everybody see this. Look at that precious doll baby. My Lord and my God. This is the commandment of God that we should diligently rear our children in the most holy faith. In obedience to this command, the precedent of this ceremony, of course, happened a long, long time ago when Hannah brought her son Samuel to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. We get over to the New Testament and we see Mary and Joseph bringing baby Jesus to the temple and presenting him to Simeon and dedicating him to to the Lord. This is a biblical principle. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 how we're supposed to raise children. Don't provoke them to wrath or to anger by how you treat them, but instead bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So this ceremony is meaningless unless the parents and the family dedicate themselves to raising the children correctly. So I'm going to ask you a question or a few questions this morning. I'd like to invite you to uh, participate in just a few moments. But i got four questions to ask this family. Number one, do you intend today to recognize that your child is a gift from God and that we give thanks for her existence? Secondly, do you desire this day to dedicate your, your child to the Lord who gave her to you? Do you this day pledge that you will bring this child up in the discipline of the Lord and not of this age? And number four, do you promise to give this child every possible benefit of a home, consistency of the church, and an example of godly living? Church, would you join with us this morning and pray in God's best blessings over this baby's life that before she is ever born, God will hide his word in her heart that he will give her direction, dreams, and visions, enable her to do great and mighty things. Can you believe that for her this morning? Would you stretch your hands forward as I bless this child? Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, this is one of yours. This precious life, this little angel that is among us, we pray today, Lord, for protection, for good health. We pray that you would give her an investment of your Holy Spirit, that you would hide your word in her heart, that you would manifest yourself as real to her at an early age. God, that she would accept you, that she would believe on you, that she would receive you as her Savior and her Lord, and that her life would be one of dedication and testimony. That Not that I have strayed, but I have came back, but that I have followed the Lord all the days of my life. We love you and we claim this for her today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The Holy Spirit's on her. She's wanting to run. So we have a gift that we want to present to her today, and that is her very first Bible, the Word of God. There's nothing more important she's ever going to have in her life, so we want to give you a jump start on being able to teach her this Word. Church, can you give this family a hand clap of appreciation? We love babies. Jessica had uh, brought you guys up and dedicated you like two weeks ago. And now y'all in a race to see who can have the most babies and give the most grandkids to mama. So um, I'm not sure that that's a race one of y'all wants to win, but uh, <laughs> that's just me. 
<laughs> but thank you. Thank you for letting us participate and, and, and be part of this day. After so there's going to be cake and refreshments after service provided by the family. If you don't know where that's at, it's on the first floor down in the fellowship hall. They'd love to share this day with you. So uh, don't run out the door if you like cake, I guess. God bless you, promise of victory. We love children, amen, because the Lord loves children. Amen. So I am this morning going to preach a one-off message. And that simply means that it's not part of a series. This week and next week, my intention is to preach just two sermons that the Lord has been laying on my heart for quite some time. I've been trying to work them in somewhere, and this was the perfect time because at the movies won't start for another couple of weeks. So I have a couple of things that I'm going to talk to you about uh, that I think is going to help you in the moment. And, and, and by that I mean this is a sermon this morning that's going to be able to help you right where you are even if I don't know right where you are because it's a universal truth. What I'm going to teach you this morning is something that is going to uh, feed your spirit not only for today, but for the rest of your days. I've prayed over this. I've had this message ready for several weeks. I've prayed over this, and I've asked the Lord that this would be one of the most influential words that somebody has heard in a great long time. So let us begin this morning. I'm going to eventually get over to Judges chapter 7. If you'd like to open your Bibles, if you're one of those that like to follow along, Judges chapter 7. Let me begin this morning by telling you that life is hard. I thought I might get a little better amen right there. Because like it or not, that is a great truth. And once you accept that truth, it makes it a little easier to overcome how hard life is. Let me explain to you what I mean. The generation that is coming up behind me don't like hard times. They don't they don't believe that times should be difficult for anyone. So they don't like anybody to say anything that hurts their feelings. They don't like anybody to have a derogatory comment or a mindset or an opinion that doesn't agree with them. Because they have not yet understood that life is harsh. We don't always get what we plan for. Nor do we ever get to choose the path that life takes us on. And once you accept that as truth, life stops being as difficult because you stop expecting your happiness to come from other folks. You stop looking for the government to make a way for you to be happy. You stop looking for your spouse or your best friends or, or the group you run with or your boss to complete you because you realize, I'm going to wake up today and some bad stuff might happen. I'm, I might get stuck in some traffic. I might get some bad news either on my phone or from the television set, a global problem. I, I, may, I may have a flat tire. My roof may be leaking before the... I might run into some difficulties. Today is not going to go as a cookie-cutter pattern. I'm not going to be able to dictate how good this day is. But this one thing I know. There is a Lord who sits on the throne. And no matter what I encounter, that will not change. The one universal truth that has gotten me out of bed day after day has not been today is going to be a good day. But the truth has been no matter what kind of day I'm having, I serve a good God. Can somebody say amen right there? 
So, so some of us, some of us, instead of accepting that days are hard, we would rather complain and bellyache and throw a temper tantrum as if life is supposed to be easy. But anyone who's ever lived a few years have experienced frustration. You have went through three things that I'm going to talk to you about today. Tests, trials, and temptations. The three deadly T's. Anyone who has accomplished anything for God, great or small, has faced all three and survived them. For instance, Adam and Eve were tested, and they failed the test. You have been tested and have failed the test. And today, we're going to look at someone who was unlikely to succeed, but surprised themselves when they passed the test. Let me take your attention to Judges chapter 7 this morning, beginning with verse 1. So Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Harod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Marah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Stop right there. Gideon is a coward. I just need to lay a little foundational work for you. Gideon, when he was called by God, said, I can't do anything for you. I am the least from the least tribe that you have. In other words, I'm a nobody from nowhere. And the army that you are wanting us to go up against has 75% grown since the last time we saw them. And they are at least three times greater than the army that I have. And here's what God says to him. You have too many warriors with you. If, you, if I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain to go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving 10,000 who were willing to fight. We just cut our army in a third, or by two-thirds, and we were already outmanned three to one. Things ain't looking good for Team Jesus. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Have you ever had God tell you something and you're like, say what? Like, like you come to church and you put a smile on and you're like, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. But the whole time in the back of your head, you're going, what are you doing, God? Like, like does he, is that just me? Has, has he ever been taking you through some mess in your life? And you, you know you can trust him, but at the same time, like you got the smile on and you're shaking your body saying, oh, I am so blessed. Thank you for asking, but I could not be any better. But the whole time you're going, God, you need to do something real, real quick. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, can you imagine? They're already outmanned three to one, 22,000 leaving, and God says you got too many. And here's what I want to point your attention to, because this is going to be the crux of my sermon. Verse 4, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them. Who tests them? Who? God will test them. Hold on to that, because we're going to come back to it. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. 
in one group put all those who cut the water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths to the stream. Only 300 of the men drank with their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Verse 7, the Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Sometimes God doesn't ask your opinion for what he's doing in your life. Oftentimes, God is doing something that makes absolutely no sense. And if he was to put you on his board of directors and let you have an opinion, or dare I say, let you vote on what he's about to do, he wouldn't get done most of what he's trying to accomplish in your life. There's not a person in here, and I love you, and I'm sure some of you have great faith. You come out of the womb speaking in tongues. You are so holy. But there is not very many people on the face of the planet who has ever lived, and I doubt any of them are in this room, who would volunteer for this project. You're about to go into battle where life and death is going to be the outcome. And you were already outmanned, and when God brings a solution... The solution to your victory looks nothing like what you asked for. Hear me out. When Gideon asked God for help, what Gideon wanted was more men. He got less men. That's not naming and claiming. Grabbing and blabbing. That seems like God gave him exactly the opposite of what he asked for. And that's exactly what happened. Because God said, I don't want you to ever mistake who it was that showed up in your time of need. I don't want you to look over at Bob who's running beside of you and his big muscly arms and his, his ability to throw a sword and use a shield and say, well, Bob killed 5,000 Midianites. I don't want you to ever look over at the person on the right side of you and says, well, that person's really skilled at throwing his, his sling and stone and he's the reason we won. He said, I, I'm going to take you completely out of the equation. See, when you come to God and ask God for victory, you also, in your mind are asking him for the path to victory. But God shows up and says, I will let you be an overcomer. I will give you the victory. I will give you the, 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 the foot on the, your, the neck of your enemy. But the way you get there isn't going to be the way you imagined it. Because I want to make sure that when your foot is on the neck of your enemy, that you remember it was the Lord your God that delivered you. You did not get there by yourself. Class is in session. God said, bring them down to the brook, and I'm going to give them a drinking test. So the Midianites are thick as locusts, and Gideon has an army of 32,000 men. And he's thinking he needs more. God says he has too many. So God gives the ones who were afraid the chance to go home. It's kind of like a pastor standing up on Sunday morning saying, everybody that don't want to give any offering, I'm going to turn my back and give you a chance to sneak out the back when you turn around, two-thirds of your congregation left. 
Gideon said, anybody who's afraid and don't want to fight, you have the opportunity to leave, and 22,000 of them beat feet. When he had 10,000 left, God said, you have too many. Go down to the brook. We're going to have a drinking contest. Notice what he said. He said, I will test them. He did not say, the devil will test them. Oh, you need to get that. I'm going to come back to it in a few moments. Because he said, take them down to the brook, and I'm going to eliminate some of them. He did not say, I'm going to let the devil teach the class. He said, I will. Now, what exactly did this test look like? He said, you're going to take them down and watch them drink water. And after they have drank, you're going to divide them into two camps. One camp is going to be full of the people who got down on their face and stuck their face down in the water and drank deeply. They sucked that water like they had never drank before. They got their face, they got their hands in there, their knees are muddy. He said, that's going to be one camp. In the other camp are going to be the individuals that came to the water and got down but scooped the water and brought it up to their mouth and drank it like a dog. And he said, these are the ones that you will take into battle. Have you ever wondered what the difference is? If you've been with me for a long time, you already know. The difference is this. The ones who got their face into the water to drink had no idea what was going on around them. They were only interested in satisfying their immediate thirst. They threw their entire existence into that water and all they cared about was meeting their immediate need. Because they had no concentration about their, their surroundings, they can't help you. They can't watch your back because they are only trying to get out of this experience what they can get out of this experience. But the ones who scooped the water were able to satisfy their thirst, but they were also able to look around and see if the enemy is sneaking in a back door. When they are satisfying their needs, they're able to watch your back. They're able to watch the, house, the back door of your house. They're able to help themselves, but also be in a position to help you too. If you're going to go into battle where life and death is on the line, these are the individuals you want going with you. You don't need a bunch of selfish people who only think about themselves. You need some folk that are say, I'm going to fight with you, and even if I have to put myself in danger, I got your back see the individuals that he took in the battle were the ones who had a bigger vision the last person you want on your squad if you're going into battle is people who have downward vision you need people who are able to watch their back and yours at the same time don't ever count on somebody whose vision is down Whenever you talk to them, everything is down. The news is down. The economy is down. The price of gas is up, but it's down. Every time you talk to them, it's negative. Every time you speak to them, uh, that gloom and despair and agony on me. 
Every time you're around them, their vision is down. They're never pumping you up. They're not your cheerleader. They're not on your squad to help you feel better about yourself. They are talking you out of good things and toward bad things. You don't need them people. You need the ones that are able to get down and say, though the Lord slay me, yet will I serve him. I'm, I'm here for you. I, I'm gonna, uh, I gotta get me some drink. I gotta get me some refreshment, but make no mistake about it. If a devil slips in the back door, he gonna mess with me if he's gonna try to get to you. So this was the test. But what is the purpose in test? The purpose in a test is to distinguish the real deal and the fantasy. The, the, the posse and the pretenders. And, and I'm going to show you six things very quickly to distinguish tests. Because I need you to, wait, wait, I'm just going to put my teacher hat on for a minute. Is that all right? Class is in session. Six things you need to know about tests. Number one, tests are intimidating if you don't know the material. I think everybody in here knows what it feels like to go into a test, look down at that paper and say, I ain't never seen none of this before. Anybody feel this preacher this morning? I mean, you felt confident walking in the room. You come strutting in, look like Fred Sanford. I'm going to own this bad boy. You sit down, at the, you wet that number two pencil, and you look down, and you're like, I'll skip that one, come back to it. I'll skip that one, too. At the end. I'll come back at the end. I can't, I come, well, there's page one, and I'm page. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Huh? Tests are intimidating if you don't know the material. Why? Because tests have one purpose, to show you what you actually know, not what you claim to know. Tests reveal your areas of deficiency. That's why people give you tests, not to, show, not to reinforce what you already know, but to show you where you are slacking. That to, to reveal to you the areas where you haven't studied quite well enough. Number two thing you need to know about tests are tests are given by teachers. The Lord said, I will test them. He didn't say, I'm going to let the devil do it. I will test them. If you are consistently going around saying, boy, the devil is just testing me again. Oh, I can't get ahead because every time I turn around, I'm in another test and the devil is testing me. Can I tell you if the devil is testing you, you are in the wrong class? You need to check your enrollment certificate because you have enrolled in the wrong class. If the devil is your teacher, you need to get in a different class because God doesn't need the devil's help to teach you anything. Can somebody say amen? Number three. Spiritual tests are pass-fail. We're not grading on a curve up in here. What does that mean, Pastor? That means you are going to pass or fail, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the other people in your life. It has nothing to do with how they treated you. 
It has nothing to do with what the doctor's report was. It has nothing to do with what got you to this point. You're either going to pass or fail, not based on what they said or they did, but what you decided to do with the information. You have passed or failed. You say, Pastor, you don't know how they treated me. Doesn't make any difference in the world because the Bible says other folk have already been through what you have went through and they have passed it and came out promoted. Now, it's going to be quiet in this sanctuary this morning because it's just getting rougher. Because number four, everybody wants promotion. Everybody wants favor. Oh, we, we talk about the blessing of the Lord. We sing about the favor of the Lord. But number four tells us that tests always come before promotion. Tests precede promotion. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, if you're faithful in the little things, I will grant you rulership over bigger things. Do you know how crazy it is for you to walk into an algebra class and you've never taken core mathematics? You will be as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. They build your curriculum in school with the idea that one grade builds upon the last grade. That where you are now, you were prepared for where you were then. And do you think God's not a better teacher than they are? Do you not believe that what you are going through right now, he was building in you last season? The moment that you thought you was about to expire, give up, you, I will surely die in this situation. No, no, no. You survived it. Do you think you survived it just because you're tough? No, that was a test. And that test was preparing you for the test that you are presently in. So, 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 in other words, tests always come before, say before, it comes before you can get promoted. Number five, a test will always cover the material you've already been assigned. Oh, it got quiet. God does not spring pop quizzes on you. You don't come to geography and get a history test. It's unfair for a teacher to introduce new information at the moment of testing. In other words, church, what you're going through right now, if you are in the moment of a test, if God is in the season of testing you, don't you believe the lie that you wasn't prepared for this? Because before you got to this season of the test, God was sending homework assignments. Y'all not going to help me. God was teaching you material that you was going to use. Now, whether you paid attention or not is entirely up to you. And that has no reference to God whatsoever. But before you got to this moment, before you started going through the hell that you are facing right now, God was preparing you then for what you are going through at this season. Why do you think he didn't want to let everybody go into that battle? Because he knew everybody hadn't, hadn't met the criteria. When he saw them boys jump down and grab that water, he said, those are the ones that have been trained. They know something that nobody else knows. How do you think they got that information? Because they had been through the fire and came out unscathed. They had been through the furnace and did not smell like smoke. You need to understand that what God is requiring of you, he has been depositing in you for a long, long season. He's not springing this on you out of nowhere. If you pray for your finances, your test is going to come on the material that you have already been learning. In other words, God, I need a financial miracle. He's going to look down and say, have you followed Malachi yet? 
Because that's the material that you've already learned. God, I need you to help me in my marriage. Which really what we mean is, I want you to change them. Did he say that? He did. He got mean on Sunday. God, I really want you to heal my marriage. Translation. I want you to quit making that, letting that joker talk to me like that. I want you to quit letting her get her dander up. And what God actually says is, have you done anything about that pride I've been talking to you about? Whew, it's quiet in here. See, the material that you are studying now is for a test later. Number six, a test isn't the destination. You remember the finals in school? I don't think they do much anymore. They don't even have homework anymore. I ask that hand all the time. I say, how do y'all not have homework? I had seven classes back then. All seven of them would send me homework home. How do you have homework in gym? Somehow we'd have gym homework. I'm surprised we didn't have lunch homework back when I went to school. Hannah didn't ever have homework. She hadn't had homework probably since she was born. I think a couple of times the whole time she'd been in school. She just had, and, and, and we used to have things called finals. It was the last thing you had before you left one grade and got promoted. To, and, and a test was never meant to be the end. It was the gateway to something better. So, so the rest of the time I have with you, I want to I introduce you to two words that you love. You didn't pick up on my sarcasm. I want to introduce you to two words that you love and appreciate and hold near and dear to your heart. One is called change. And the other one is called transition. You love both of these things. See, at least I didn't say patience. Let's talk about change. Change is external. Change happens to you. Because change can happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Change can happen with one car wreck on the highway when you are already late for work. That's change. Change can happen with snowflakes starting to fall. You got to work and it was sunshiny. By the time you got home, the roads were treacherous. That was change. Change can be something that happens to your body. Change can be something that happens globally. Change is a situation that is imposed by outside circumstances or unforeseen conditions. That's change. That's change. Somebody say change. Uh-huh. Now what's transition? Transition is always internal. Change happens to you. Transition happens in you. Transition is internal or psychological event. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the difference? Some of you are frustrated by change because you're not willing to endure the process of transition. And the reason that I have to pass the test, the reason passing tests is so important is because tests are how you get promoted out of transition. And it really doesn't make much sense to you when you're in transition. We're in transition with the weather right now. It's cold today. It could be 80 tomorrow. You don't know how to dress. It's uncomfortable. We turn the boiler on here 
to get it warm enough for you to come in here. By the time we leave, sometimes everybody's sweating and shredding off their clothes because the temperature outside has raised the temperature inside, and, and it's a constant battle because we're in a time of transition. It's not consistently cold. It's not consistently warm. And you are in a season of transition, and the only way for you to get out of the transition is to pass the test into change. Let me explain it to you like this, because some of you are looking at me like i got lobsters crawling out of my ears. Israel spent 40 years not in change. Had they changed the night they came out of Egypt, they would have only been 11 days entering the promised land. But because they did not change, they spent 40 years in transition. What's that look like for you? I'm in transition. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not still in Egypt, but I'm not yet in the promised land. I'm saved enough not to go to hell, but I ain't quite saved enough not to cuss somebody out at Walmart. I'm saved enough to speak in tongues, but I ain't quite saved enough to keep my tongue when somebody makes me mad. I told you, class is in session. So, so, so I'm in transition. I'm leaving my old life, and I'm trying to get deposited into a new life. But sometimes it takes a long time to get from where I was to where I'm trying to get to. Does anybody believe this preacher this morning? So the reality of it is that transition takes time, but change happens suddenly. So to be trapped in transition is to be waiting for your mind to catch up with the transformation that has already happened in your life. You have been changed, but you fight the change because the transition makes you uncomfortable. You don't, listen, when God deposits His Holy Spirit in you, He, he, he tries to get your cusser out, and he, and he tries to get your attitude adjusted, and He tries to get your mind, the mind of Christ, and you start fighting all that, because I ain't quite done with my, with my, He's taking my anger away, but I ain't quite done with it yet. I got a few people I'd like to tell off still. He's trying to change me, and the change happened because now who, who was, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I have been quickened. I've been made alive. The change has already happened, but I am fighting against the change because the transition makes me uncomfortable. Because before, I used to look at you and tell you about yourself, and now I look at you and i got to put this fake smile on and say, Jesus loves you. I can't stand you, but Jesus is crazy. Because the change it makes you know you're supposed to love folk. So I can't say what I want to say. But I'm unwilling to say what I'm supposed to say because transition takes time. Is anybody feeling me or am I just testifying up here? So class is in session. And it was over in the book of Hebrews too. Hebrews chapter 5 Sounds the most like, uh, Stacy ought to get a kick out of this because Hebrews chapter 5 sounds like a middle school teacher talking to pupils. <laughs> this, 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 this particular situation is where you see a Christian community struggling to come into the fullness of what God has for them. And if anybody ever sounded in the Bible like a middle school teacher, this was it because he is really, really frustrated with his pupils. 
He's talking about building and building up their faith and becoming spiritually mature. And he's describing not just the miraculous salvation that has happened in their life, but he starts talking to them about becoming mature in their faith, going deeper, learning more and more about God, and changing their motivations and the new way of doing things. Instead of being trapped in a legalistic system of laws, he said, I want you to learn how to love God through grace. And as he's teaching them, it's like a middle school teacher he says, about this, I have much to say. But I can tell that you have become dull of hearing. <laughs> this means it ain't the preacher's fault if you don't get it. If he preaches the word and you leave without it, it wasn't his mouth that was out of order. It was them dull ears of yours. Y'all ain't going to help me. <laughs> he says, I have a whole lot I'd like to teach you about this subject, but I can tell that you have already tuned out. You have already become distracted by something else, and I am wasting my time. And if I, there has ever been a testimony of Pastor Mitchum, that one is it. If there was ever a word that I would have wrote in the Bible myself, it would have been Hebrews chapter 5, because I can tell when the lights is on, but ain't nobody home from the pulpit. Y'all think that you have me fooled because you got them, you've got them toothpicks holding them eyelids open like you are still with me, but I can tell when you have checked out on me. Verse 12 says this, For though by this time you ought to have been teacher. He says by now you should have been teaching others. Class should have been in session. Instead, you need somebody to keep going over the same material. I quit doing this years ago because y'all picked up on it. Especially Michelle Insminger picked up on when I was frustrated I used to whether it's my kids or my church or my shoes was too tight whatever it was this used to be my go-to move because this kept me from swing see when I first got saved I had transitions uncomfortable and the change came on me quickly says you can't slap people no more but the transition meant I had to tie my hands up so that this wasn't my go-to move anymore so I used to take my frustration out on the back of my neck. And I had to quit doing that because some of y'all picked up on it. Says, I can tell you about lost it up there, Pastor. I saw you smacking yourself. So I haven't done that in a long time. But I felt like doing it. Listen to what he says here. He says, you should have been teaching other folks by now. But you need me to go, oh, oh, oh we, we need to go over that material again. Uh, oh, okay, so, so you didn't get it the first 92 times. I, okay, I get it, I get it. Come here, honey, come here. Sit down. Get, no, 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 keep your hands to yourself. Don't, don't, don't pick on me, nobody. Get your finger out your nose. Quick, come here, come here. Sit down. Sit still and listen. Turn off your mouth and turn on your ears. Over and over. And that's what, listen, this is not a new problem. This, not, this didn't, was not invented with Bishop Mitchum. This, this has happened ever since... Here and beyond. The problem is, he who has an ear to hear will. Those who don't will shout and never transition. That is not in your Bible, your King James. That's a Mitchum, hillbilly vernacular version right there. So do you hear what he's saying here in verse 12? 
He says, you ought to be teaching somebody, but you never transition. You have been a Christian for 20 years, and you're still asking the same questions you asked 20 years ago? You're not, you're not living any differently? You haven't changed anything in 20 years? You're still the same kind of believer you were when you first started? He said, you have a need for somebody to keep, keep training you again and again the basic principles of God. He said, you need milk. You can't handle solid food. But the problem is, if you stay on milk forever, your teeth rot out because you don't need them. So here's what he says. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. I'm going to say that again. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. That means... It's a skill. That means you can get better at it. That, uh, see, I told you, class is in session. See, change is a present. It's a gift. Transition is a skill. And you need to get better at the transition so that you are ready to get promoted when change shows up. So he said that this skill requires use and practice in order to distinguish good from evil. And the greatest test is transition. So get ready for it. If you're being tested, you're in transition. That means God is growing you up. That means he is teaching you to stand and not fold. If you are in transition... He is teaching you to stand when everything is uncertain, to stand when it doesn't feel good, to stand when things are controversial, to stand when nothing seems to be happening, to stand when no, you know you can't trust what you hear and what you see and what you feel. He says you're in transition, and transition is going to take time. It will not come quickly. Change happens fast, but you are going to have to stay in transition. And sometimes transition is hard because everything around you is preaching at you that this is not going to happen and it can't happen and it won't happen and you're going to have to learn how to stand and believe it will happen even though you don't see any evidence of it. So transition takes time. So, so the decision is this. Do I let go of what I've always been comfortable with and grab hold of the new or do I clutch to what is familiar and miss the promote, miss the promotion God has for me. So it matters in these moments of transition what you're holding on to. It matters in your moments of transition. Change, change happens without your help. You got saved without your help. You said, "Please save me," and Jesus said, "I will." You said, heal me, and you didn't have nothing to do with, he with the he healing coming or not coming, and healing just fell on you. That's change. It works independently of you, but transition, you got to work that thing. See, I feel the Spirit. I feel the Spirit just saying to somebody that you're going to have to choose to cling to something that is new and uncomfortable so you can move forward into the promotion that God's got for you. See, see, what makes this significant for your life is that you can't take hold of what's new as long as you got a death grip on what's old. 
And God is saying to you that you have come as far as you can come while holding on to what used to be. And that means you're going to have to let go of all the excuses that have become so embedded in your life for not letting go, for holding on. And He's telling you that if you're, you're at a spot of transformation and all things He's making new in your life, and God has given birth to a new thing, but you can't grab the new thing if you're still holding on to the old thing. Let me give it to you like this. When you become a husband, you have to stop being single. You cannot go into a new husband relationship with single man habits. You, you can't have a husband situation and bachelor mindset. Because before long, the old thing... And the new thing will start tearing you apart as you are trying to live a dual life. And I hear God saying to somebody, let it go. Let it go. Because where you have been is not serving you in this new season that he is bringing you into. Let it go. So I just told you about tests. And I just told you that the devil doesn't give you tests because he's not your teacher. And if he is, you enrolled in the wrong class. But tests are not the only thing I want to talk to you about. I have very quickly two other things that I want to bring to your attention this morning. Because you need to know which class you're in. Okay? The first class that you're going to be in is a test. What exactly is a test? It is a standard by which a person's qualities are tried. A set of problems or questions by which a person's knowledge, abilities, or character is assessed. That's what a test is. In other words, tests establish a standard. It tells you where you're supposed to be. If you fail a test, it's because you didn't know the material. And now you have a standard because you're like, I'm not very good at biology. I'm not very good at this particular chapter of chemistry. I need to go back and review the material because obviously the test has revealed that I didn't pay attention while I was going through the material. That's what a test is. The second thing that you will go through is called a trial. A trial is a hardship. Now, a hardship is not necessarily a thing. It can also be a person. Some of you married your hardship. Bless your heart. I'm sorry. Did you not go through premarital counseling? It is a person or a thing which is a source of annoyance trouble being proved by suffering or endurance so the devil never gives tests but the devil does send trials he sent him Job he sent him to David he sent him to Paul in order for the devil to send you a trial he's got to get permission from your father so while the devil may be the teacher of the trial class, we know who the principal of the whole universe is. The trial is where you apply what you learned when you took the test. When you took the test, you were applying knowledge that you had already comprehended. Why do you think you needed to know it? Because a trial was coming. And what does every trial always lead to? 
We see this exemplified in the life of the Old Testament saints and even in Jesus himself all the way through Peter and Paul and John the Revelator. Every trial leads to temptation. Temptation is an attempt to persuade someone to participate in sinful or wrongful acts. To attract or to lure. Anybody like fishing? I got one. See, look, I caught my limit. Look at her. Look how pretty she is. That's why I quit fishing, fellas, because I caught my limit. I knew it was going to get caught. It's all right. Gary Jr.'s never fished a day in his life. It's all right. What happens with a lure? You send it out with what? The, the idea that you are going to persuade a fish to get out of its cozy bed, come to what you have, get hooked by it, and end up in your boat. The thing is, this is the time of the year, Gary, just break it. It's cool, man. Just break the line. Seriously, just break the line. I need it, I need it broke anyway. I was going to break it. That's all right. I'll get it. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it. So here's the thing. Lures do different things. Do you know that? Like, you can throw this lure. It's one of my favorite bass lures. It was, and Gary Jr. broke it. Actually, I have packs and packs of this. So these are Mr. Twisters. This is the number three size, and uh, it's, it's called Chartreuse Yellow. And when they quit making it, I guess I just won't never fish again because it's my favorite. And it's really good for, like, bluegills and crappies and bass, and I've had a lot of good luck with it. But if I go out in, in November and throw this lure in front of a catfish, it won't respond at all. If I go out in November and throw this in a, in a bluegill pond, after the water has cooled down, I'll get no response. Because different seasons, fish are attracted to different things. And I can throw the same lure in front of the same fish and get a different reaction depending on the season that the fish is in. So that means that I have to, in order to lure the fish from where it is to where I want it to be, I have to be smart enough to know that I can't use the same bait for every fish in every circumstance. Which means I have to know when to bring out my box of tricks. Because whether it's for top water, whether it's a diver, whether it's life bait, 
artificial bait. I've got whatever I need. I've got different size hooks. I've got different colors. I've got the ability to get into this box and throw a variety of temptations at the same fish. And if you don't think that the devil knows what you are tempted by, and the devil don't know what you are, need in the season that you need it, you haven't been paying attention in class. Because just because the devil couldn't get you with it last year doesn't mean that you, he won't find you in a weak moment in this season and get you to fall under a temptation. Don't ever boast about, I would never. I tell you what, if those was my kids, watch out because you just painted a bullseye on yourself. When you start saying, I would never, get ready for that temptation to find you in a weak moment and show you that, oh yeah, you will. Given the right circumstances, given the right mindset. Given a moment of weakness you'll do things you swore you would never do. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a hungry belly will eat anything but somebody who's full don't even think honey tastes good. So you need to know when the enemy is using temptation to lure you in. And he's got a box full of tricks to get you where he wants you to be. So I'm going to leave you with these three things, these rules for passing every test. Number one, you got to review the material. By the way, I'm going to give you three, and you have to do them in order. You can't skip one because it's uncomfortable. That means before the test, read the material. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to lay it out there. Y'all know me. I, I'm old and cantankerous. Don't show up in God's house when all hell breaks loose, when you didn't have no use for Him before it did. You knew better. You've been trained. You have heard what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live. But what I've watched is this rotating idea that I'll, I'll live my own life and make my own choices and do my own thing until I get in a bad situation. And then I'll run to the house of God and look for God to give me a bailout plan. That's called fire insurance, my friend. And that's not the way God handles things. He said you need to be reviewing the material now. Even though you're not in trouble, you eventually are going to come into a place where you're going to need what I'm telling you. So you need to be in the house of God this Sunday and be back next week and be back next week and even if you're not fighting anything right now you are putting material in your spirit so when the test comes you know what he has been training you review the material don't wait till the day of the test and then run in the classroom and say I need help the teacher's going to look at you and say sit down and get your pencil out number two pay attention to the instructions Gideon gave the men a plan. He only had 300 people, remember? Against thousands. And he divided them up into three camps, and he gave every man three things. We're not really fishing. You could have threw that in the garbage. Gary thought we was going to go fishing. He's like, we done, preacher? Can we go fishing? He gave each one of them a lantern and a clay pot. And he says, on my order, 
hold the light, break the, la- uh, the clay pot, and scream. We got 300 men against tens of thousands. 300, tens of thousands. And let me get this straight, God. Our battle plan is to break some clay pots, hold up some lights, and yell at them? Can I tell you that obedience a lot of times means doing stuff that don't make no sense? Obedience often means doing things that makes no sense. Are you telling me that I'm supposed to follow all the instructions even when it don't make sense? I was in fifth grade. And the teacher gave us a test. And at the top of the test it said, read all the instructions before you take the test. But ain't nobody got time for that. Because I was the kind of student I always wanted to be, I always wanted to finish first. So I, I guess I thought that proved I was smarter than people or something. So I would, I'm doing multiple choice. I'm writing little essays. I'm making sure my punctuation is right. Man, I'm really going through. And kids are getting up and turning in their tests. And I'm like, man, how are they so fast? And I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I kept doing it. And more and more kids kept turning in their tests. And I was really getting frustrated because I was like, I didn't think I was this slow. And I got down to the very end of the page, and it says, only put your name at the top of this page and turn it in for full credit. See, read the entire test. Read all the instructions was the test. And I failed it. So when you pay attention to the instructions, it will often keep you out of trouble that you weren't supposed to get into in the first place. Do you know you don't have to get them to move out if you never let them move in? Y'all not going to help me. If you don't start, nothing won't be nothing. You knew the instructions. You disobeyed the instructions. Now you got to deal with the problems that came because you did not follow the instructions. Uh-huh. So what's, what's going on with the test? You remember when you was a kid before we had uh, Apple pa- uh, Play and XM satellite radio? You remember when you ha- used to have to turn the dial on the radio station? Do you remember when they used to say, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Had this been an actual emergency, fire would be falling from heaven and the earth would be opening up. What was they doing? The TV would do the same thing. Remember, it would say this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Had this been an actual emergency, we would give you some instructions. This is only what? A test. And they would do that and repeat that over and over. It, it, they repeated it so often in my childhood and yours that you remember the words, right? You remember the verbiage because it happened so much. What were they doing? They were preparing you for if you needed the information, you would not fall apart. You would wait for further instruction. What God is doing with giving you the 
proper instruction is he is trying to help you not fold under an emergency. He doesn't want you falling apart. He doesn't want you doubting whether he's God. He doesn't want you questioning whether or not he loves you. He wants to have so much word inside of you that you will stand up strong and say, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I do know who because he has showed me over and over and over again. And when the test comes, I'm not questioning whether or not God is able. Can I say that to you again? When a test comes, I don't question whether God is able. There are times I question whether I am able. There are times whether I question whether the marriage is able. There are times I question whether my faith is able. But there's not ever been a moment that I've questioned whether he was able because he has showed me over and over and over and over again that what he says I can take to the bank. Number three, and lastly, refuse to get distracted by your environment. When you used to take tests in school, remember they used to say, keep your head down, keep your hands to yourself, no talking. You thought it was all about cheating. Some of it is, but other, there's another methodology when you teach is you want them to have attention on what they're doing because they're going to do their best with less distractions. What the enemy is real good at is getting your attention on the wrong things. See, he can't steal your soul, but he can make you ineffective where he finds you. Because he is constantly sending things to distract you from the purpose that he has called you to. I can't tell you how many times, and go ahead and judge me if you want to, but I can't tell you how many times I've went through seasons of my ministry in over 20, almost 25 years where I have thought, I'm in my last stretch. This is it. I'm going to get through this season. I don't know how long this season is. I don't want to put a date on it, but I'm, I'm going to make it through this season, and God's going to release me, and I'm going to go be able to do another career and just serve God and, and, and be a good servant of the Lord, and it ain't happened yet. But every single time I have felt like that, it's been, not been because God let me down. It's never been because I felt like my calling was changing. It was because I got distracted. My environment was so chaotic and there was so much mess going on, I felt like I should quit this. But my assignment was always more important than the distraction. See, you're going to find chaos. If you allow chaos to get you off your assignment, you'll find nothing but chaos. If all it takes for you to fight with your spouse or fight with your boss or get upset and quit church is for a little disagreement to come, you'll find nothing but little disagreements. Because the devil loves it when he finds exactly what you got a taste for and he'll just keep throwing the same lure out in front of you. Because once he's got you hooked, it's hard to get loose. But I've come here this morning to tell somebody that that devil is a lie and that you've got the Holy Ghost inside of you who makes all things Good. I, I, I'm going to ask you all just to stand with me this morning because I'm going to leave you with this one thought. It would have been real easy for 300 men to lose their minds, throw down their torches, tell Gideon to go take a jump on the lake and say, oh, this is your great plan. We're going to fight tens of thousands of people with some torches and some Ray Dunn pottery. This is your big plan. Add a boy, Gideon. 
It'd been real easy for them to get distracted by the hardship, by the attack of the enemy, by how far they were outnumbered, by the inconceivable ability to finish this fight. It'd been real easy for them to get distracted. But they followed the instructions. And the Bible says when they threw those clay pots down and yelled, the enemy got confused. Thought a whole great army was coming against them. They started killing themselves, ran over the hills, and Gideon and his army was able to track them all down and annihilate them. Wipe them off. Wipe them out. Why? Because they followed the instructions and overcame the devil. In other words, you don't have to be stronger than the devil because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to be wiser than than the serpent. You don't have to be stronger than the giant. You don't have to be more powerful than the locusts. You just have to trust in who sent you and follow his instructions. If you pass the test, you get promoted. If you fail the test, you get to take the test again. The test will pass when you pass the test. So I'm just going to pray this morning for some of you to hold on. As a matter of fact, we're going to pray for each other to hold on. Because I have to believe in a crowd like this Some of you have gotten to a place where you're questioning if you're going to be able to hold on. Over and over and over and over and over again, I feel like this same test, this same trial, this same temptation. I used to shout, I used to feel so much victory, but this season has been so dry. God, where did you go? The truth is, God didn't go anywhere. We get so distracted by our environment. So where are my weak people at? The ones who need strength. Where are the ones going through maybe the test of their life? You walked in here today saying, I just don't know how much more of this I can take. Where are you at? Because I'm going to ask you to make a bold step. Because I want you to come to the front of this church where we're going to love on you. We're going to encourage you. And the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We're going to be strength for you and we're going to pray strength into you. It's the blessing of the Holy Ghost that we have. So we've got to the end of this class. It's time for you to apply what you've learned. Where are my weak people at? Don't wait. Don't wait. I don't want to drag this out. I've already preached for a long time. All of my weak people. Make your way up here. And I've got some... Stephen ministers and staff members and prayer team and 
They're going to come and love on you and pray for you. God's Holy Ghost is going to put a new excitement and enthusiasm in your spirit. This is what I've asked for all week. God, renew in us a contrite spirit, a clean heart, and the joy of our salvation. This is what I want for you. This is what I speak to you. We need you, Lord. In our weakness, God, you're strong. Help us overcome every test, trial, and temptation. And God, right now, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I speak victory into your people who are seeking you, need you, don't know what to do without you. God, they've been running towards you, but they feel like they have been running in circles. God, today, give them direction, give them favor, and give them an overcoming spirit. Today is promotion day. Let them feel the promotion into the newness that you've called them to in Jesus' name.